0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lines 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Downing. We have a... Full show ahead for you, a lot to dive into, beginning with a new commitment in the 2024 recruiting cycle for Penn State. Got a commitment on the transfer portal end to discuss as well, and it's a big one. A coaching staff change, a ton to talk about in the wake of a junior day event, so a lot of recruiting to get into. And you'll hear a little bit later from Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen, my colleagues in the Lions 24-7 site. There's a bit of a roster reset right now in 2023 with Penn State. We're two and a half weeks out of the Rose Bowl, essentially, at this point. We now know a lot of the names that won't be part of the Nindy Lions mix in 2023 some that will be and we're still waiting for some answers but a lot of those answers came with the start of this new semester with the passing of the NFL draft declaration uh, calendar so a lot to dive into later on the current roster but we're going to set our sights on the future right now with Brian Doan who does a tremendous job covering everything recruiting for 24-7 sports and obviously our followers here are the podcast at lines 247com very 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 familiar with Brian's work and Brian, we are fresh off of a commitment announcement from Anthony Speca, uh, in-state prospect, four-star composite linebacker uh, out of Pittsburgh, joining Cooper Cousins. And Cousins for a long time has been looking for some company in this class, and uh, they get it today on, on a Tuesday afternoon.
1: Yeah, and it's funny. This is one that Speca pretty much committed when he left campus on Sunday. I mean, on Saturday, he had a big junior day for Penn State, and he spent a lot of time with defensive coordinator Manny Diaz just to learn exactly how he fits into this defense. Um, and it's interesting because at this time last year, I didn't know how much of a player Penn State would be for Speca. He spent a lot of time visiting Notre Dame. Um, but as it moved forward, and especially when you look at how he played his junior season to where, I mean, I think he finished with 122 tackles in 10 games. And he's just, to me, he's so much of what I I grew up when I watched Penn State on what they had linebackers. Now, that's a few moons ago. We get that. But to me, he just fits everything that is Penn State from an inside linebacker perspective. And and I think they did a really good job of continuing to evaluate him during his junior year, making sure the relationship was very good, because he's been on the radar since his freshman year, and making him comfortable not just with the defense, but understanding how the Penn State degree helps in the alumni pipeline and all that 40 year stuff um, that parents love and kids sometimes don't pay attention to. Well,
0: Penn State just signed three top 24-7 prospects at linebacker. Two of them have already arrived on campus as January, enrollees. KV on Keys will be joining them in a few months from now. And looking forward now with Speca, before we get to the prospect profile here at linebacker, Brian, how about the path to Penn State in this commitment? Who were the other players involved? And ultimately, why do you think this was the right time for him to wrap things up based on your conversations?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, you know, the, the teams they beat were turned out to be Michigan and Pittsburgh. Those were the two that were at the end. when I was um, communicating with him earlier in the month, his visits were Penn State, Michigan, and Pitt. Early in the process, he made some trips out to Notre Dame. But the coaching change out there, um, and, and again, how much Penn State really started pushing in the last nine months, really flipped things in Penn State's favor. And listen, Terry Smith, I mean, everybody who follows Penn State probably knows about Terry Smith, who is deeply invested in Western PA, played at Aliquippa, coached at Gateway. You know, that was before he played at Penn State and and coached at some places, too. But, you know, if Penn State wants a kid from Western PA, a lot of times they're going to wind up with them. I mean, it's not going to be 100 percent of the time. And I think we saw that in the last class, especially with Rodney Gallagher. But, you know, they they put a lot of effort into it. And then what led him to it, what what led Speck into commitment was, listen, you're a linebacker in state, and the way this defense is set up, it's going to funnel some of the tackles your way, and it gives him a chance to produce. And, again, it's what I said before, with the the academic side of things, that's the thing that happens that really pushes the parents to say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with this as well. And it's pretty hard to go wrong with a Penn State degree when you're an in-state kid, knowing what their alumni reach is.
0: And you've seen Specca in person. You've had those evaluations of scouting report up at lines 247com today. Um, but for our listeners out there, what kind of a, a linebacker is Penn State bringing on board? And when you project him out here in the next three, four years of his development, uh, where do you see him being a fit on the field?
1: Well, it looks he, he told me this, and it, and it fits perfectly. He's an inside guy who's going to hit a gap, and he's going to take out a run. He's physical. He's smart. When you watch his film, you understand that he knows where the play is going a lot of times before the offense knows where the play is going. So not only does he do the film work, but he's also able to translate that onto the field. Um, like I said, physical runs downhill. He's going to have to continue to work on – Just his speed, getting to the edge, making sure, you know, maybe against some of the teams in the Big Ten he'll get there, but when you're talking about getting to the edge against some of the elite teams with speed that can get around the edge, making sure he can get there, I I think that's part of the technique to where he'll have um, different coaching once he gets in at Penn State. But I I think he's just an all-around really good football player, and we have him as an 89. The Composite has him as a four-star. 89 is one slot below you know four star for us but 89 also means that hey as long as he develops down this path we think he's going to have a shot in the nfl and i just think that he's so sound in in so many things that he does and then you add the effort and you just add physically you know he's six one and a half six two two twenty easily play at 230 if he wants to um his lower body is thick but it does not hinder him in that regard you know there's there's so many things to love about him and i think a lot of people get caught up sometimes with four stars five stars and and forget that an 89 is an outstanding player as well and he's a kid that i expect to start at penn state for multiple seasons and and i think from a physical standpoint he'll be ready to do some stuff as a freshman now whether that's needed that's something for you and daniel and and mark to (laughs) talk about
0: (laughs) Yeah, we saw one freshman burn redshirt this year in a big way with Abdul Carter. We saw another tucked away, working behind the scenes largely, in Keon Wiley. We'll stay tuned uh, with with Speck and moving forward. He combines uh, with uh, Cooper Cousins to create early foundation of in-state prospects for 2024. We'll talk a little bit about that cycle more and some junior day stuff with you, Brian, in a few moments. But uh, it took a little while longer, but another in-state pickup of sorts, Dante Cephas. Uh, This is a guy who came to Happy Valley as a high school player. Uh, You know, he wore the lanyard. He was in attendance at games, but obviously he ends up at the group of five level playing for Kent State the last couple seasons, despite missing some matchups, just about 2,000 total receiving yards. He has been the top name. If you've checked in on our message board at any point in the past month, when it comes to this wide receiver conversation, they get it done. The announcement comes on Sunday. We'll talk about why the timing of that announcement was odd for another reason. But specifically focused on Cephas right now, Brian, how big of a win is this for Penn State out of the transfer portal?
1: Yeah, I mean, my understanding was he was the top receiver target in the portal. He's, a, again, an in state kid. He's Penn Hill, so he's Pittsburgh, the Western PA connection again. Terry Smith, again, very active with that recruitment. Also, you know, he he trains and he's a two tenths kid, which is the big training organization out in Western PA. And so you can, as is Specca, so you continue to develop that relationship as was Tamir Robinson and you guys kind of get the idea on this. Right. So, you know, so Cephas is a guy who I I, I spoke to him about why he wasn't a power five kid coming out of high school and why he is now. And he said, simple, I'm, I'm just better. I wasn't ready. I wasn't physically ready to do it. I wasn't mature enough, you know, from a body standpoint to do it. Then I got better at route running. I got better coaching and developed into a, a prospect who could play at the power five level. And listen, you guys watch Penn State a heck of a lot more than I do, but I get to watch them on most Saturdays um, when I'm sitting home, you know, on TV or, you know, maybe if they play somewhere that I can get to, I'll go to a game. They needed a number one receiver. And when, and when Parker Washington went down, that was even more glaring. And so that's why you're looking at Penn State, adding some receivers in the portal. They may have those guys in the program. They're just not ready. And the feeling is Cephas can be that guy because of his ability to run routes. He's a reliable pass catcher. He has the speed to get behind the defense. There's so many things. He's got he's got a big frame. You know, he's not the 6'4 kid that you know they're also looking for. But there's so many things that he does well, and there's that void in the Penn State offense. And I and I think when people Sit and watch at the end of the year, it just wasn't that game breaker. You know, I'm used to watching maybe Jahan Dotson or, or back in the day Chris Godwin, whomever. They just need that guy, and that's why the commitment from him is huge.
0: And, and you look at this group, and as you say, they may have some, some real talent ready to break out on campus. They got eight guys that were going to carry freshman or sophomore eligibility on the 2023 roster. That's a conversation we'll have later here on the episode with Daniel and Mark about the impact in this receiver room. But getting back to Cephas himself, this was a re- a process that took some turns. You know, the timing of it, uh, whether he was going to be enrolling in January, now we know he will not be, he'll, he'll be getting here after the spring semester, uh, and, and how that might impact his uh, acclimation to the program, but also just the 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 other players here, uh, the academic side of stuff. And then what's looming in every conversation, it seems NIL. And I know that's that's a buzzword that I'm sure you've run into like a brick wall a lot in the conversations you've had lately, Brian. Can you kind of get some of this recruitment and and put it on the table for us? Because it was a lot to follow. And I know a lot of our loyal listeners were kind of living and dying by this one for a while when they were wondering what Penn State was going to do at receiver.
1: Yeah, I I kind of never wavered in it. So when you talk about twists and turns – I just think it took time with the process, obviously, with him going back to Kent State. Um, he's got to finish up academically there, graduate, and then he can get into Penn State. It's a much easier transition into Penn State as a grad student than just a you know straight transfer. That's why he's going back. He, he's played enough football that look, he's not going to have any problems being on the same page with the quarterback, who I'm guessing will be Drew Lahr. Um, He'll know the offense. He, I mean, he's not coming to Penn State as some wide-eyed freshman. He now knows what college is like. He's played in some big games. He's going to put in the work. Um, so I think from that standpoint, I, I don't really worry about it. The spring practice is more for some of the other guys just to you know, figure out the offense a little bit and get some reps maybe the guys that didn't get a ton of reps or you know back in the in the fall would you like to have them there of course i mean yes rather than no but i don't think it's a big thing and, and as far as the twists and turns i i don't i i never thought there were twists and turns i i was told from the day before he made his official visit to campus that this was going to take some time to work out that there were some things that they had to make sure of in terms of the academic side and what credits can transfer and whether he would have to finish at Kent State or not. Um, So to me, I I know there were some other reports out there going elsewhere. I never never bought into it, to be honest. I, I just waited for him to announce his commitment, and he decided his birthday was a great day to do it. And
0: his birthday happened, and the announcement happened to coincide with the same evening where Penn State uh, dismisses Taylor Stubblefield. It, it's public. Stubblefield puts out a tweet on, on Sunday evening. Uh, then Penn State releases one with James Franklin talking about undergoing with the national search and, and how it was uh, relieved of duties effective immediately, clarifying a little bit of that. This is all happening, I think, 45 minutes before Cephas goes public with his announcement. Um, you, you've got some different guys on campus at the receiver position this weekend. You've got a transfer. We'll talk about that in a second. But this isn't your first rodeo, Brian. When these things are all happening at the same time, a position coach hitting the exit door, trying to bring players in, how much of a role does James Franklin then have to play as that closer? Not that he's ever going to step aside from a recruitment, but it would seem the head coach is paramount in all of this if the position coach is not?
1: Well, listen, it comes down to the head coach anyway, because it's a rarity when you're going to have a position coach at a school for five years. It happens. I mean, go back to Terry Smith. I mean, he's been there a long time, but this happens. I mean, coaches move on and a guy like James Franklin will understand how to explain to the receivers that they're recruiting that, Hey, this is what I'm looking for in a receiver. And to me, the, the, Hiring an assistant coach, while it is important, can the guy recruit? Can he teach? That's, yes, I understand that. Fine. But at the end of the day, you want to know that the head coach is staying because the head coach is going to make sure the offense is his philosophy and the defense is his philosophy. And that's not going to change. And these kids and these families constantly put their trust in a head coach right they, they put their trust in a head coach to run a program to take care of their kid so they're going to trust that he's going to go out and hire somebody really good and for cephas it comes out of you know an hour later that he's committing you know after the stubblefield announcement well it's not like cephas was like oh i'm, I'm going to commit oh what happened i mean he knows what's going on they explain it to him they say what they're looking for in a coach and that's why you know when you talk to kids in recruiting tyler i i know you you've lived on different sides of this thing you're trying to sell a kid on a program and on a school and this is an example why
0: yeah there's a lot of things that can come and go during your career on campus and there's certain things that will always be right there position coaches come and go um but at the wide receiver position why this was you've got quotes in your articles that that came up on Sunday, hours before Stubblefield is, is announced as dismissed, from Keelan Adams, uh, from Chance Wiggins, guys who are top 24-7 wide receivers in the 2024 class. And, and they're mentioning to you that Stubblefield's part of that weekend process, part of that acclamation. Um, I guess those guys coming away, uh, they've got to sort through it. And I know James Franklin's already probably followed up with the players who are on campus and in that kind of a situation. Uh, but what kind of a, an impact was Penn State able to make with these receivers, despite the fact that they're in flux from a leadership role right now in that room?
1: Yeah, well, I I think the the thing is the kids come on campus in whatever position they're going to play at said college, that's the coach they spend a lot of time with. Right. So that so that's why Stutherfield's name came up. He was on campus Saturday. It makes sense. Now, none of these kids, you know, Kalen Adams, Chance Wiggins, they're not going to make decisions in the next couple of weeks. By the time they're really set to make decisions, Penn State will have a receivers coach. And if they can get them done in the next two weeks, there's also the opportunity, since both are, you know, Virginia kids kind of on the same side of the state over there, although separated a little bit, there's a chance for that coach to go down there to the school, check in on them. He can't talk to them in person there, but there's still plenty of time with this stuff. There's still plenty of time to say, okay, here's my philosophy. The one part that you have is now there's uncertainty with kids and they're like, wait a minute, I was just there. and Now he's not there. So that's something that, you know, Penn State will have to address. And listen, every program in the country addresses that with some kids. So it's not like something new. It's not something terrible. But then it comes down to, OK, now you got to develop that relationship with the coach, because we talk about relationships and you, the coaches and how important they are. And other schools will say, hey, well, why are you going to go to this school when you've only known this coach for three months when you can go to our school we have known this coach for two years? Now, that's usually just convenient stuff. A lot of times, you know, maybe the receiver coach they hire is from a school that was already recruiting the kid anyway. So I think it's important to have them there just so they have a point of reference when they come to campus, who they're talking to a lot. But overall, it's, it's, it's not a big deal.
0: And if there wasn't enough happening on campus with the receiver position on Sunday, you were able to report lines, 24, uh, that another transfer receiver Malik McLean uh, made it to campus Florida state the last couple of years, a guy that's, carries two years of eligibility in his back pocket. Cephas coming to town with one of them. Um, and, and I'm going to timestamp this one. We're, we're chatting here just before 1 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon, Brian Doan. And we all know things have changed minute by minute. And if Malik McLean wants to be on a college campus, a different one this spring, he's got to make a move very soon. But what is the intel you've been able to gather from this one? Because I'll tell you what, if they were able to get Cephas and McLean, and by the time you hear this, they may have already done it and they may have already failed to do it. But that would be quite the tandem. And I think just getting his feet on campus here in Happy Valley, that
1: that was something because he was on his way elsewhere. So it's interesting you say that because when he went into the portal, I got a phone call from somebody saying, hey, watch, this kid's going to wind up at Penn State. And you never know until he gets in and then Penn State can contact him after that and then a bunch of other schools. But that's the intel I got within 20 minutes of him being in the portal now they're trying to get him in he's trying to get in we'll see how it turns out i think tyler you know this better than i do tuesday may be the last day for classes you know to add drop i don't you know some schools have 10 days some schools have five days I, i apologize for not being versed in penn states but it has to happen quickly i think both sides are trying to make it happen if it doesn't happen i mean maybe he can still get there but i know you know, maybe can get there at some point late in the spring, but I do know he's trying to get some, somewhere in January.
0: And what we do know as well, Tyler Calvaruso had a post up on the site, is that uh, McNeil... Ends up in the directory. Uh, so, so you know he, he's got uh, – or I'm sorry, Mc, McLean ends up in the directory. Yes. And, and you know, that's something we've seen in the past. Devin Carter was in the directory here at Penn State. He's not going to be in a Penn State uniform. But th- there are some things in motion there. Uh, and circling back to the 2024 cycle with you, Brian, uh, Christopher Jones, a top 100 linebacker mm-hmm. prospect in that class, uh, he has been a frequent flyer, it feels like, around campus. And he got back again this past weekend. What was the feedback there?
1: He loves it. I mean, he absolutely loves it. Sees the whole linebacker, you deal, um, you know, the feel of campus, the defense, Manny Diaz, the defensive coordinator and linebacker coach and how he would use them uh, all, you know, fit perfectly for for Chris. His cu- I, I think their cousins, Kenny Sanders, who works in recruiting um, or player development, uh, sometimes I get those lines blurred a little bit. But, you know, they have that strong relationship too. I, I think Penn State is a big-time player in this one. Um, for me, what, you know, again, we talked about spec at the top of this thing in terms of a producer. I mean, Chris Jones is a tackling machine who is all over the field. I mean, you, you can't pop on a tape of Mountain View High, forget his huddle, just pop on a game of Mountain View High and he's just flashing all over the place. And Tyler, you know, this too, he's been there before. He's obviously raved about his experiences at Penn State. So here comes his turn in the cycle. He's gonna go visit schools again to where the attention is really now on his class. And the first place he goes is Penn State. And Penn State is having visitors all three weekends in January. So he could have picked any time. So where does he go first? Penn State. Now there's still a lot of work to do there, but right now I, I feel good about where Penn State sits. I felt extraordinary about where Penn State fit after Speck's visit on Saturday just to give you some perspective on that. So, but yeah, I mean, they've done a really good job with him and they have that personal connection, you know, from the get-go.
0: And then a name out of New Jersey you were able to catch up with about his experience, Kaj Sanders, four-star athlete, defensive yeah. back is, is where Penn State projects him. Um, what kind of a prospect profile are we looking at here? And and what should we read into the fact that he prioritized getting Happy Valley here in early January?
1: Yeah, he's a Bergen Catholic kid, um, and I know there's – Bergen Catholic has, has it's been interesting with Penn State, we'll put it that way. Yes. But, um, again, he prioritized it. He, he's a kid. I view him safety corner kind of kid. Depends on how his body fills out. Saw him play in the fall. You know, quick, changes direction well, has some good length. I still don't know, like I mentioned, is he a corner? Is he a safety? He's going to make a lot more visits coming up. Um, I I think at least the way I see it Bergen Catholic kids traditionally kind of wait a while before doing things. So he'll, he'll visit a couple more schools in the next few weeks. I anticipate him making some more visits once the window opens again, I think in March. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he decided to go to Penn state, make the first visit there. And look, I always, I always, I shouldn't say always, a lot of times I'll judge things on how quick a kid wants to get back to you about a visit. especially when it's something new for him and he he was pretty quick in getting back which is not always the case um so penn state did well there but there's a lot of guys on the board on this one
0: and a couple more weekends ahead of visits, uh, as Brian said, we'll have full coverage at lines 247com One more 2024 name I yeah. wanted to address with you. He was not among the visitors last weekend, but he tops the list of Pennsylvania prospects in that cycle. Quinton Martin, uh, it's been a couple months, I think, since we discussed him on the podcast with you, Brian. Anything new to bring to the forefront as he gets ready to, to hit a, a really important stretch where I'm sure things are going to be ramping up with the attention on him?
1: Yeah, you mentioned NIL earlier, right? That yes. We mentioned? Yeah, yeah. So – I think with Quentin, you know, he's got a team that works with him. He has a person that directs interview requests and handles releasing some scheduling stuff. And from a lot of the sources I talk to, NIL is going to be big in his recruitment. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be the end-all be-all, but it's going to be something that is looked at heavily um, you can see that with some of the marketing that's gone on with him. And it could be, he knows Penn State. He's been there a bunch. So for him, it's what other schools can he get out and see? Um, I, I think that's just going to be the key with him is where else does he go visit and what kind of things are being discussed on those visits in terms of what they can do from an NIL standpoint. And, and I'll say this, Tyler, and, and I'll preface it by this. i found one kid so far. Openly told me NIL was important. Just one. That's for the in the whole twenty three class, one kid. Wow. Um, Now I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm just saying this is what's being said. And then the other thing I'll say on it. And we we talked to a bunch of kids at the Under Armour game about this um, last month. A lot of the NIL stuff is being handled through parents or some NIL. I guess we call them lawyers or, you know, advisors, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The kids are not entrenched in the every little detail of the NIL stuff. They're leaving it to parents, advisors, family members, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that it's a little bit like a guy getting drafted by a team, focusing in on doing everything he can p- to prepare to get on the field, but right. letting his agent handle all the other stuff that that makes sure he's on the field with that contract signed. Obviously, it's a scaled down version of that. But yeah, to your point, the prospect's not doing a lot of the talking about NIL but it seems like a lot of the people around the prospects are carrying that load and and having a lot of conversations. Uh, I want to briefly turn attention as we wrap things up with you, Brian, to the 2023 recruiting cycle, which I know is fading further into the rearview mirror, but there are some (laughs) lingering names out there. And uh, Chimdi Ono out of Maryland, a four-star offensive tackle. James Franklin told us in December, offensive tackle is a spot he still sees as a priority moving forward. Uh, Penn State hosted him this past weekend, not to be lost in the shuffle of everything else that happens. Where do the Nittany Lions stand coming out of that visit?
1: Yeah, I feel like Penn State is the team to beat. I don't think it's a wide margin. I think you can go to Michigan State or Ole Miss, which he has the next two weekends, and things could go really well there and they can get him. I will not rule out Rutgers because of how early they got into it. And, you know, again, I think Rutgers has a really underappreciated NIL situation there. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to get sorted out there that golden Achumba hosted him a maryland kid i hope i said golden's name last name correctly it's been a few cycles nailed them um, okay so he he hosted him he understands the connections with maryland uh gets along well with offensive line coach Bill Troutline. i feel good you know again we're not Specca feeling really good you know whatever i said before but i feel good about where they sit with him with the understanding that you know Michigan State, if they really want him, can really make a big impact there. And then we'll see what happens when he goes down to Ole Miss. Now, he's an Old Dominion commit. And so he is a kid that didn't really get involved heavily into the recruiting process with the Power Fives until it was early December. So he's still trying to filter through a lot of information. And then the other thing is he is a kid that's going to take a little bit of time to work and get on the field. This is not a bring him in and he plays quickly kind of deal. Um, and so depth could come into it. You know, looking at a depth chart could be a factor as well.
0: Last February, we saw Penn State get a late offensive line pickup in Vega Ioane, who they're really excited about his future here. See if they can pull that off again. We'll be following uh, this process. A couple more visits to go. Finishing up with a couple names here, Mason Robinson, Joseph Mapoye. We had you on right before uh, signing day, I think right before those guys each announced their decisions. Uh, hoping you could just give us uh, kind of the breakdown respectively for Robinson and Mapoye, and, and how you see uh, them fitting into the Penn State's plans.
1: Yeah, and I've seen both of them live, so so we have that base to go off of. So Robinson camp and play. So um, the one thing I look at: great motor, high energy, uses his hands well, um, athletic. I think he's a kid that you can drop him into coverage if you need to. If you want to bulk him up and keep him straight on the D line, you can do that as well. Um, smart. You know, comes from a program McDonough where they do a good job of developing guys at the high school level to where they don't have that ton of work that needs to get done before they can get on the field in college. Um, you know, the 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 one thing that I look at with him that's a bit of a concern is, you know, he, he's not, his shoulder width isn't the widest. So it depends on how much he can put on. Um, I, I think he plays low. I think he's just an all around really good player. And then with mapoyi listen, he he is a really intriguing kid probably the most intriguing kid in the 23 class, you know, that Penn State signed. Um, He does not have a ton of football experience. He came over to the States as a basketball player, decided to go work out, play football his first year, which is when Penn State first saw him. I mean, listen, give Penn State a ton of credit for being on him really early. You know, they were recruiting Nicholas Harbor and saw this kid play, and he was probably 200, you know, 6'5, 200 pounds, but was just getting to the quarterback on every play. And there was some academic stuff to work through with him, which is why he went from Archbishop Carroll in DC to St. Thomas More. Uh, he's old. He's older. I think he's 19 already. Um, but he's gotten bigger. You know, he's, he's a legit 240. He's got upper body strength. It's just a matter of he's got to get the technique. He's got the speed, he can get off the ball, he's got to learn to kind of dip his shoulder and get around the edge. He has it in him. He just hasn't done it yet. Part of it is just, you know, more teaching with him. But I, I think he's a kid that does he get on the field as a freshman? Maybe. But I think by the time he's in his third year in the program, you're looking to go, man, this kid, you know, he's developed nicely. I, I think that's where it is with him but he's got to be able to put in the work.
0: Wide range of recruiting topics, as always, with Brian Doan, national recruiting analyst with 24-7 Sports. Really appreciate Brian. Again, your breakdown of Anthony uh, Specca and his commitment and the quotes uh, from your conversation with him, all featured right now at lines 247com We appreciate you hopping on right after that to talk with us here on the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Tyler, as always.
0: We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: Big thanks again to Brian Doan for breaking down a ton. A couple different cycles reviewed there on the recruiting trail. Certainly some Transfer Portal talk with the insight on Cephas. Brian had our story on Dante Cephas on Sunday evening. And now we bring in Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan. And we start again back on Sunday evening because there was so much going on on campus during the weekend. A ton of coverage at lines 247com from that junior day, which we just spent a lot of time breaking down with Brian Doan. get the splash commitment on sunday night but about an hour before that taylor stubblefield goes public with saying he's parting ways with penn state penn state puts out an email saying that they were the ones who took the proactive approach in making that parting of ways happen and mark brand you have seen your fair share of of coaching maneuvers here with the nittany lions certainly well that one that stands out because a lot of uh cohesiveness uh with this staff with this locker room but a significant shakeup here is taylor stubblefield getting shown the exit door after three seasons in happy valley
3: yeah I, you, you kind of knew something was going to happen because this was the first weekend where there was no uh, football game basketball game or open practice uh, obviously it was a big junior day and thankfully we have people like Tyler calvaruso and brian doan and alan true and steve Wittfong who really help us you know crush that stuff so yeah maybe take a little bit of a step back and uh you know enjoy some some nfl football but of course not hey listen Uh, You know, one thing we've seen about James Franklin is that when he wants to make a change, he does not hesitate. And uh, as we tape this, you know, uh, an announcement could come out at any any moment. So we're going to be careful with where we go uh, in terms of potential replacements, because uh, again, it's just the timeliness of this thing. But I have to imagine that that move is not made unless they have somebody in mind uh, that they really want to bring in. So, uh, you know, Taylor Stubblefield was a great guy to cover. Enjoyed covering him. I uh, thought he did a nice job with the receivers, but obviously they want to go in a different direction. Uh, I thought it was interesting. You mentioned Cephas, the fact that he commits 12 seconds after Stubblefield is fired effectively. Um, you know, that to me tells me that that they had kind of uh, – they're not storm ducks, but they're ducks in a row, uh, so to speak. Sorry, Nice job there, Mark. I know. I know.
0: <laughs> And, and we had just talked about this with Brian uh, before you guys hopped on, but you had Taylor Stubblefield interacting with recruits, some high-level recruits uh, you know, on campus just on Saturday, um, and then Sunday that new services. And, uh, Daniel, this is a room that, that we'll get to in a moment. We have a lot to learn about. CFIS is going to be a headliner, we anticipate, when he arrives after the spring semester. Uh, but there's a lot of talk right now at lines 247com uh, I anticipate we'll have an answer here relatively soon with I don't think we're going to see this stretch deep into January or anything like that part of that is because of what Mark just referenced and James Franklin's line of thinking here but what is your I guess immediate reaction to this Taylor Stubblefield a guy who remains the Big Ten's all-time leader in career receptions he did that at Purdue and a guy who was able to settle in on a campus after being widely viewed as a career nomad a year here a year there uh, now he's on the move again.
2: I think it was 64 minutes uh, between Taylor Stubblefield's tweet and Dante Cephas's tweet on Sunday night. So it was a, uh, you know, a, a bit of a whirlwind there, but yeah, I remember last spring, I think it was last June, we were talking to Taylor Stubblefield out on the practice fields and it was brought up to him that he's coming into his, his third year, which is the the longest that he had been at, at one place. Um, obviously college, you know, coaching at, at any level, college pros. Um, is is a bit of a nomadic profession. But when you looked at all of the stops on his resume, you know, he had been moving around uh, in particular for most. At the same time, he was joining a program that had gone through three different wide receivers coaches in three years. So I think both sides really wanted and needed some stability there. And, you know, they got it. Um, I think there is something to be said for continuity um, at a spot. Obviously, you want to couple both results and continuity, um, and it's clear that, you know, one or both sides felt that they weren't getting what they they needed out of this uh, out of the arrangement. But, um, you know, it is a little bit of a of a surprise, I think, when you thought about how they talked up that continuity, um, you know, talking to Taylor Subblefield on National Signing Day uh, in December. Um, he was really you know, looking forward to the future, really looking forward to coaching these players and, um, you know, seeing what he could do with some of the guys that we didn't see that much of. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's 111 now. So maybe in 15 minutes, we'll have a different answer on, on where this uh, where this is headed. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that the timing of it, um, you know, it, it stands out to you a little bit there.
0: Yeah, pretty confident that not only will we see Penn State fill that position relatively soon, potentially very soon, but Taylor Stubblefield is going to fill someone's uh, fill out someone's staff elsewhere in Power Five football very soon as well. Uh, pretty confident in saying that. So with those two uh, splitting sides here, I mean the interesting part of here is you know, Stubblefield, the, the talent acquisition, a lot of people pointing to and what do you want to call it, ironic or whatever, they add probably the most impactful, at least projected impactful wide receiver pickup of his tenure an hour after he's... Announced as no longer being with the program in CFIS. And you look around the room, uh, Jahan Dotson is the guy that, that he got in year three. Obviously, a couple of years together, did great things, became an All American first round pick. Uh, you've got to give Taylor Stubblefield some credit in that regard for his work with Dotson, who was already a playmaker when he got here, but, but turned into a different kind of talent in those couple seasons. Mitchell Tinsley, uh, the leading receiver this year when it was all said and done, he comes in as a one and done kind of player out of the transfer portal. Keiondre Lambert-Smith, Parker Washington, Malik Mega, Jaden Dodden, these were all, if we recall, receivers that he inherited. Uh, Jared Parker was the the wide receivers coach on signing day for the class of 2020. Those guys, though, end up coming to campus for a pandemic year with Taylor Stubblefield as their position coach. He doesn't get to, to see them, observe them, judge them in a padded practice until late September of year one on campus. And now, A couple years later, what have we seen out of that initial group? Malik Mega is a special teams impact player. Jaden Dotton is not an impact player right now. And Parker Washington is here and gone. Keandre Lambert-Smith, his progression has been a really hot topic with Taylor Stubblefield over the years. But you're left with the room that Taylor Stubblefield had a huge hand in building. And we have eight guys, fellas, who are going to be sophomore or freshman eligible going into next year that that taylor stubblefield has his stamp on as as guys that he helped bring into this program helped recruit and so i think that's going to be a really kind of uh intriguing situation because you're going to have an immediate receiver group that that whoever takes this job inherits in cfis maybe they add another transfer portal player you've got the veteran keandre lambert smith who has a lot to prove but he's been there they've got a ton of talent to work it's not the guys that they brought to campus themselves but Taylor Stubblefield uh, has a, you know, he's, he's been pointing to these guys for a while, Mark, and saying, you know, the Caden Saunders and the Omari Evans and the Liam Cliffers and the Harrison Wallace is the world. In some ways, it felt like Taylor Stubblefield was hanging his hat on and saying, I need an opportunity to work with these guys and build the receiver room in, in kind of the way I've been trying to build the last couple of years. He won't get that chance, but whoever steps in here, yes, they're getting Dante Cephas. Yes, they're getting counter. Lambert Smith is coming off a high note in the Rose Bowl, but the most important thing is all the eggs in the basket that haven't hatched yet. To me,
3: yeah, as Christian Driver is also going to be in that uh, right. in in that mixture. You know, uh, son of Donald Driver started his Penn State career at defensive back and played both positions on the practice squad, and I guess uh, you know is going to be a full time wide receiver now. But I, I think an important point to mention here is that yeah, you have all these players, but who really emerged? this past season, I thought – you know, this was the year that I thought we were going to see more depth. And, and did we really see it? I mean, really not until Parker Washington got, got banged up. You know, We saw more tight ends and
0: we saw more running backs.
3: Yeah, yeah. So that's where I think – you know, that may have been one of the issues that they just weren't seeing the development that they were hoping for. And, you know, the other side of it is that, you know, you, you, you touched on this, but he was the offensive recruiting coordinator, so to speak. I mean, I guess that's kind of a <laughs> – yeah, those are weird terms for the assistant coaches, but he was the coach on 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 the full-time coach, the sideline coach who who handled the, the offensive recruiting and you know I think they've done pretty well there the, the last couple of years all things considered so I don't know that that would have been the issue but in terms of uh, yeah in terms of wide, wide receiver development, what have we really seen? who have we seen take those strides? and I wonder if that isn't what kind of came into play. Who have we seen come in here as a four-star and just get better and better and better? Jahan Dotson, yes. Parker Washington. An argument could be made that he 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 actually took a step back a little bit this year. I thought. I don't know what you guys thought. I mean, he had more opportunities, uh, but I don't know that he he kind of lived up to what a lot of us were thinking he was going to become. And then, obviously, unfortunately, he got banged up. Uh, but Malik Mega. Uh, You know, we've heard great things about his athletic ability. He's a Canadian kid who's making the transition uh, to American football. But it seems like that transition is taking an awful long time. And uh, Lambert Smith, uh, again, the lack of consistency. He really started to flash. And I think that's a good sign moving into next year. But you really have to wonder about the development. And I think that was probably the primary issue.
0: And I think it's correlated to recruiting, though. There's been a lot of big names that, that haven't necessarily ended up here. Maybe they were here for an official visit. Maybe they were here for a junior day or for a camp, but they didn't sign here. They didn't come here. Um, and, and I think you're looking at, at some of those misses. Uh, there was some frustration a little bit here in the transfer portal. Would they find their guy? And, and, of course, Dante Cifas, as Brian Doan talked about, has been the priority for a long time. And they're yeah. able to get to the finish line um we'll work our way through this receiver uh coach change at lines 24 as mark said you, you don't want to dedicate too much on a podcast that you're about to drop because it could be completely moot uh, very soon and when they do announce uh the the, the change and we're able to yeah. actually discuss it out loud and and, and refer to the change uh, we'll do that here on an episode of the podcast it may be our very next episode of the podcast as we work our way through the early phases of this offseason but Getting back to the roster movement, that is really in focus right now for me because we got through the period of time where you can declare for this 2023 NFL draft. Most notably, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud uh, you know, took off to the draft. People were wondering, would he actually stick in Columbus? We didn't see any surprises pop up for Penn State in that regard down the stretch, but – we saw some guys enter the portal. We saw some guys decide to move on. And let's begin with a position and a in a phase of the game where it's really kind of an underrated storyline for Penn State on special teams. They lost their punter in Barney Amore. They lost their long snapper in Crystal. They lost their punt returner in Parker Washington. And now they are losing uh, their kickoff specialist and place picker as Jake Pinniger uh, will focus his sights on trying to make a professional roster moving forward. He had another year of eligibility created by COVID and the Reds. Redshirt year that he's in twenty twenty one, but he will not keep it. Uh, and Daniel, that creates a bit of a void. Sanders Sahadak, Alex Falcons, who just came in, uh, he's Columbia's all time leader in points as a as a grad transfer who's who walking onto the program. Those are the names to know. But kickoff specialist and place kicker, one of those things is a mess for you. That can cost you a game.
2: Definitely, and I think we saw James Franklin's frustration with that kickoff specialist spot last year, which I think probably took some people by surprise. But well, once they got consistency there with Pinneger, you kind of stopped thinking about it. It was one of those things that you could sort of set it and forget it. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think that you know we got kind of got used to some of these names on special teams. You know, Pinneger. You know, four of the last five years, he was the main guy there. Chris Stoll had had that position at long snapper for a while. Uh, you know, Barney Amore was, you know, only had that job for a year. But, you know, I think that you really got used to some of these characters, some of these personalities. And so there's going to be a lot of turnover um, in, in a position group where you look at the NFL and some other places where you really value continuity. Um, you really value the the operation, um, that unit, how those guys work together, what kind of chemistry that they have. Um you know we saw guys get work in different situations where Sanders Sahadak got some time in games. Uh, and then we saw Tyler Dusansky, uh, who one of the long snappers, um, get time on the field when Sahadak was kicking because Stoll held for him. Um so there there are guys that are coming in with experience, but you know I do think Pinnegar for you know whatever, however inconsistent he was and, You know, he had that really long stretch of official makes with a couple unofficial misses sprinkled in there, too. Um, You know, I think that that's the type of player that when he's gone and if you don't adequately replace him, you really, really notice it. Um, You know, it's really hard to find a consistent kicker. uh, It feels like in college, uh, even in the NFL, like we saw on Monday night uh, in that Cowboys Bucks game. Um, So I think that Pinniger is someone who does leave a, a pretty big void and there's a lot of, you know, I don't necessarily want to call it pressure, but there's a lot of eyes on Sanders Haydack. Um, I think that a lot of people thought that he could have won the job from Pinniger this year. That didn't happen. Um, we didn't even really see him get a lot of those long field goal attempts that mm-hmm. it was kind of hinted that he might get. Um, so he's definitely someone to watch this offseason. And you know, getting to know Alex Falcons as a player, I think that'll be interesting and what he can bring, um, whether or not his skill set kind of sets up for some sort of timeshare. Uh, like we saw in the past with Stout and Pinnaker, excuse me. So, you know, Stacey Collins has a lot of different names, you know, some new, some old uh, to to sort through in that special teams unit this offseason. Jake Pinniger uh, finishing his senior season, uh, 52 kickoffs, and he had 36
0: touchbacks. He was at what Sanders Sahidak did there 15 kickoffs, four touchbacks. And then Gabe Nuoso, uh, the big punter, also being used as a kickoff specialist at times, seven touchbacks on 18 attempts. Sahidak did get two field goal tries. Missed badly from 56 at the end of the half, and then made from 20. Uh, Beyond that, got a lot to learn about Zahedak. We've talked about it. We can't. We've said it a bunch. You you can hear it coming off his foot on the practice field, but uh, you want to see it going through the uprights in Beaver Stadium with consistency at this position. And that's the next step if Zahedak's going to win that job. He was the number one overall kicker uh, in 24/7 Sports Class of 2021 rankings. Uh, Elsewhere on the roster, uh, and and and. Clearing up some things here. Marquise Wilson was not on a Saturday roster update that Penn State put out there. Um, ultimately, by Monday morning, he was in the transfer portal. This a guy who was with the program for four years, he's going to use his COVID eligibility elsewhere for that year number five um, and came in hot. I mean, he was a takeaway machine, Mark, as you remember his freshman year. He forced uh, five turnovers, um, came up with a big interception toward the end of the Cotton Bowl to to seal that game a bit uh, off of Memphis in the red zone. And you're thinking this is an ascending talent, the guy who kind of forced them to burn his red shirt freshman year. Sophomore year, he's got a role in that backfield. Junior year, though, 2021 ends up splitting time between receiver, between cornerback. Makes a little bit of history, being one of the few guys who played both in a game, but ultimately we kind of view that as a vacuum of a year in his development. He resurfaces at cornerback here in 2022, plays a bunch, just about 300 snaps. It's a deep room. They bring in Storm Duck. There's more freshman reinforcements on the way. And ultimately, one way or another, Marquise Wilson determines four years with Penn State is enough. And I think this is an interesting one because for a long time it felt like Marquise Wilson – could be the kind of splash play guy for this Penn State defense or just generally, maybe it was on special teams, maybe it would be on offense even. Freshman year was the best we really saw from Marquise Wilson, as it turned out.
3: Yeah, I don't know that he ever recovered from that experiment of trying to play him over on offense. I mean, they they ended up with so much talent at corner that you know, to to send somebody over and try to play both positions. Uh, it, it was just a very difficult thing to do. I mean, you think about the level that Joey Porter Jr., Kalen King, and Johnny Dixon all played at last season. Uh, it made it very difficult. I mean, one of the sad things to see, um, you know, Marquise Wilson did not have a good Rose Bowl. I mean, he, he he was burned at least once. I think that he have at least one PI, uh, but – you know, after the game, his teammates were consoling him. I mean, he was really down. I mean, they they wanted that was a big win for them, and I think you know he just seemed like he was disappointed that he didn't play well, and maybe this is going to be good for him. You know, I hope it is because he's you know he was a good kid and uh, played well for them, did some good things for them, but I just think that that attempting to play him both ways. Uh, you know, in in concept, it, it was probably a good idea, but the way it worked out, I think it just made him. It, it took away from his ability to develop as a defensive back. And in that room, you know, once you get behind the the, the kind of talent that they had, uh, that makes it very difficult. So, you know, with with uh, you know with Joey Porter Jr. moving on, would there have been more opportunities? Yeah, probably. Uh, but obviously, he just he just did not look like a happy kid you know, even after the biggest win in the last
0: couple of years. So uh, hopefully it works out well for him. Which was strange to me when, when when you were noting his emotions and you weren't the only one who mentioned that about Marquise in Pasadena because he's usually uh, comes across as a very happy-go-lucky yeah. guy and maybe he already knew that that, that was right. it maybe maybe he already knew where he where he was in terms of his college career um and that's kind of his personal private business but maybe he lends a little bit more insight to, to that decision um, and just a quick note on that he was one of four cornerbacks to sign with Penn State in the 2019 cycle him and Keaton Ellis burned their red shirts as true freshmen uh, Ellis. Ends up playing safety. Wilson spends times at receiver. The two cornerbacks who who preserved their redshirts that year: DaQuan Hardy, who is now looking as to be a year five contributor at Penn State, and then Joey Porter Jr. Burnt, uh, saved his redshirt that year in 2019. Ultimately, maybe going on to become one of the best cornerbacks in program history when it was all said and done. And, and Christian Driver, by the way, now carrying that athlete label on the roster—that's new. No longer at cornerback, not a, quite at wide receiver athlete and that's what we saw from marquise wilson in 2021 just put him at Um, one
3: position man i mean i (laughs) don't don't like that they're doing this to these kids especially the young developing kids listen if you're already established and you want to give if you wanted to give micah Parsons some snaps at uh at, at tight end or or running back i would have been okay with that but you know these young kids let them get them in a spot and let them play the spot and let them develop that's my that's my take sorry
0: Let's let's move over to running back, because this is a spot where we had wondered for a while would Keevon Lee, you know, play the role of the good soldier, the veteran for another year and and knowing what's coming back in that running back room and, and, and commit to a fourth year. Um, He put out a couple statements to reporters out in Pasadena. You couldn't really read through them one way or the other. And ultimately, uh, coming out of this weekend, we now know that that Kevon Lee uh, wants to explore other options. Three years with Penn State, the first couple he ends up uh, as the team's leading rusher. This year, he was the week one starter. By the time we got to October, he was clearly the third fiddle in that room. And by the time we got through game six, he was sidelined the rest of the way. Daniel, we're not quite sure what happened with Kevon in the Rose Bowl. We saw Tank Smith as the third running back utilized there late. James Franklin told us, leading up to kickoff, that Kevon was going to be available to return after missing the final six regular season games. But ultimately, that October 15th trip to Michigan is the farewell for Lee, who, let's remember, scored the go-ahead points in a week one victory of what proved to be an 11-2 campaign.
2: And he also led the led the team in rushing two years in a row uh, as right. a freshman in 2020 and sophomore in 2021. So you know, he was someone who I think that especially last year when the running game just needed something, anything, and he would have those flashes. I remember in the Indiana game, um, you know, he broke off some big runs, but there was just kind of the, the consistency issues that, that popped up in there, you know, whether it was fumbling, um, whether it was being unable to get those extra yards Um, that we saw guys like Nick Singleton and Katron Allen get this year. Um, But, you know, I think that this puts Penn State in a pretty interesting position going into next year. Uh, We talked about it a little bit down the stretch about how Penn State was just really, really fortunate that both Singleton and Allen were able to stay healthy um, down the stretch because, you know, Tank Smith was one heartbeat away from being that number two running back or even the number one running back, depending on, how things shook out from health wise and especially at that position where you take such a beating and it's so easy to get banged up or to have some sort of nagging injury. Um, You know, Penn State was fortunate. And, you know, having Keevan Lee back next year, you know, I, I didn't necessarily look at it as a luxury. (laughs) I looked at it as kind of something that if it was available that you needed in terms of having a veteran, having someone who is big 10 ready. um, When you look at the two guys that are coming in London, Montgomery and Cameron Wallace, You know, London Montgomery coming off of a knee injury. You know, Cameron Wallace needing to to bulk up a little bit, um, you know, to play in the Big Ten. Um, It puts Penn State in a really interesting position. Um, You know, it's hard to bring in a you know someone from the transfer portal to tell them that hey, you're going to sit behind these two sophomore studs uh, who are going to you know really carry the load for this running game. Um, But you know, I think that Kevon Lee was someone who had a role. Um, and was able to be a contributor. I mean, I think that he was able to kind of put his stamp on this team in a couple of different spots. Um, that catch against Purdue is definitely going to be something that I think really lasts uh, in, in people's memories of him. And you know, it's probably how people will remember him uh, at Penn State for really helping Penn State, lifting them to that win and kicking off what was, uh, you know ended up being a, a pretty fun and successful season.
0: And he had a big 100-yard game, and for a while it was was the last 100-yard game for Penn State running backs uh, in front of an empty big house in Ann Arbor when Penn State desperately needed to get off the schneid. They were 0-5. I think we'll remember that performance from his freshman year. J1 Slater knows full well how it can get messy in a hurry. Look, Keevon Lee was not supposed to be playing that game at Michigan as a feature back for Penn State as a freshman. He was supposed to be watching things from the sidelines and – that, you know, that year they, they're getting towards preseason camp and, and COVID's looming over everything. But Jaywon Slater really felt like he may have had the best running back room in the country. Journey Brown, Noah Kane are out of out of the equation by the time they get through their first possession of the season. All of a sudden you got Kevon Lee uh, stepping up as a starter by the end of the year. And I will note this. And, and Daniel, you did a great job laying out what, what the case is with these incoming freshmen, because London Montgomery tours ACL last August. Uh, what it's going to take for him to play running back at, at a game-ready level at, in Power 5 football, uh, we'll see what that timeline looks like. But I think it's asking a lot of him to be ready come September kickoff against West Virginia. So I, I, you, you look at Cameron Wallace, what are you getting there? You're getting a guy that people really liked as a defensive back, people really liked as a running back. Some people liked him as a wide receiver coming out of the high school level. He had a huge year last year on both sides of the ball. Um, and I think you can maybe see him be a kind of gadget player. Like you said, there's physical progression that needs to be made. Uh, But could he be a five to six touch kind of guy and maybe two of those touches he can do something special with? You're still in a situation where he's not going to see the field if he's not ready to handle his offensive assignments, his roles as a potential blocker out there. But who else is going to play? You know, If you could sell a, a veteran running back on joining this group, you would already have one in Keyvon Lee. I don't think you're going to go out and get you Keevon know, Lee 2.0 from another school. So you're going into spring camp, it looks like, with just two scholarship running backs. And then you're going to reemerge come fall camp with London Montgomery. We'll see where he is in his progression back from injury. And then Cameron Wallace, who is really going to have to take on probably a bigger role as a freshman. If you look at this class and, and you're saying – Who's going to take on a big role? He's kind of a sneaky pick right now just because of the nature of the position at running back and because of the depth there right now from a scholarship standpoint. So the thing that 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 I'll leave it with, fellas, every single freshman scholarship running back under the supervision of j Slater has burned their red shirt. Since Snyder was hired, Uh going into the 2018 season, you had you had Ricky Slade do it. 2019, you had Devin Ford and Noah Kane burn their red shirts. 2020, bit of a different scenario, but you still had Kevon Lee, Kaziah Holmes go over that four game threshold. Everybody preserved red shirt that year. 2021, they didn't sign any freshmen. They brought in John Lovett, didn't work out well in the transfer portal. And then this year, of course, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen go bonkers, uh, playing every game as true freshmen. So there is a very high standard set for newcomers coming to town, but. But um, we've got a lot to learn about this room. And Kevon Lee heading out of town doesn't make things any easier to dissect there. Um, A couple other names here to get to in terms of the portal one coming, one leaving, and both from that 2021 Penn State class. Jamari Budden, uh, reserve linebacker, did a lot of his work on the scout team uh, this year. I think he got a little bit of action uh, late in the year, but largely relegated to scout. Uh, He's going to search for a different option. Seems like he was not looking at uh, too much of a path toward defensive playing time, heading into year three, see where he lands. But Davon Townley, and, and I said this when he entered the portal back in December, he was the one name that jumped out of me uh, out of all those early entrances from this Penn State roster that I felt like that's one you really stings to let him get away because it felt like they got him on the upswing with his trajectory. That trajectory still seemed to be pointing up through year two. He was bulking up. They liked the way he moved, felt like a fit for the program, Figured he'd end up in a different Power 5 campus, maybe be an impact player as soon as this fall. Instead, Mark Brennan, we see it come full circle. And Davon Townley, now a member of this Penn State roster again, he's going to be bulking up. He's going to be moving inside and focusing in on defensive tackle. Curious about how that impacts things. But I think this is a roster win for them. And, and to me, it's not just about what Davon Townley gives you in 2023. It's that you are continuing to build on the investment you've already made. They knew the deal raw basketball kind of prospect coming out of high school. You want to get your, you want to get him for three, four years and see what you got. I'm sure they felt shortchanged by having it end with year two. And now they've got a new sense of fresh life with this process.
3: Yeah. I mean, honestly, you you look at a lot of these kids who enter the portal and, and some of them really, the writing was, was was sort of on the wall. I mean, even Bay, or Bay whatever the hell we're calling him this week. um, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a D one talent, but he was going to be stuck behind somebody. I mean, Kevon Lee, obviously, you know, obviously talented enough to play at this level. Uh, but he 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 read the writing on the wall. But a lot of these guys, I think, Budden is a good example. With all due respect to to him, if he couldn't get on the field this year, when are you going to get on the field? And I think he kind of saw that, and he's going to go look for an opportunity elsewhere. But Townley, you know, we've seen it, and I don't want to compare him to to Jason Oa. Uh, because that's a different position and OA was just a super freak athlete. But I do think you can say the the former high school basketball player who's making the adjustment, and as you said, taking multiple years to do it. It's gotta be really hard for these kids because you know you come in and you see a guy like Zane Durant, you know, contributing immediately, maybe not as much as some of us thought he would, but he was there on the D line contributing immediately. Uh, you see a guy like Drew Shelton on the offensive line immediately. Uh, obviously, you know the the running backs. I mean, duh. I mean, they what what they were doing. So you you have a kid who comes in and, and kind of doesn't get an opportunity to do anything for a couple years. That's got to be real difficult. And I think it was a very mature decision on his part to you know once you get in the portal, you know, reflect, talk to your family, talk to the people who matter, talk to your coaches. And it was, I think it was a mature thing of him to come to the decision, you know, maybe I should stick it out and, and maybe I should see where this could take me. Uh, so good for him. Uh, I, where will he fit in next year? I mean, he's clearly going to be playing defensive tackle. Uh, I think there's some players still ahead of him, but I think his upside is it, it, I think it's way up there. I think he has the opportunity to be a really, really good player just may take another year or so. But to have him in there developing, getting bigger, I think is a positive for Penn State.
0: Daniel, I think you caught up with Townley. I know you you dropped some notes on the board. He was up 30, 40 pounds uh, from his enrollment weight, which I think was around 230 pounds. Now 270. We'll see what he looks like when we see him back in Pratts in the spring. But as I said, he's a former four-star prospect, the guy that you knew was kind of just a burgeoning recruit, not a guy you've been tracking since his freshman year of high school, which is the case in sometimes. And and I think, again, to breathe some fresh life into this, at a position where you've got Caleb Artis there, uh, you're you're bringing it, you just brought in Ty Blanding, who they're much higher on than a lot of the recruiting surfaces are uh, inside of that building. They really like Blanding. Uh, But there is room to get some young talent, burgeoning talent. Fatoma Moba's gone. He wasn't really qualifying as young anymore. But I think this is is a, a, a spot where, it really is a benefit. And, and Davon Townley, after after navigating things a bit, certainly agrees.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think when I saw his name go into the portal uh, in December, it, it kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, you know, based on the conversations that I had with him back in, uh, I guess that was in May um, at that second year player media day. Um, you know, he seen, he sounded like someone who knew that he still had a long way to go on the developmental curve. Um, it, you know, I think someone asked him what his, his goals were for, for the fall, and he didn't say anything about playing time. It was just being a good teammate, practicing, continuing his development. Um, you know, we saw him with the scout team for you know, most, if not all, of the fall. Um, so it seemed like he was someone who kind of knew where he stood and knew what he needed to do in terms of that development. Um, and you know, the fact that I think that he's back and willing to put that in uh, will be interesting to follow. Um, yeah he said that he came in at 235 pounds he was at 265 pounds um, at that point in May I think he was listed at 267 um, during the season on the roster so I mean that's a that's a long way to go Um, he talked about having to adjust to playing with that weight with that muscle Um, you know especially for someone who was as athletic as he was coming in um, there is a big adjustment there so it'll be worth watching how that comes along but I think that when you look at the interior of the defensive line, I I think his upside is pretty high. I think that he could get, I think there could be opportunities for him to work his way um, up the depth chart. Um, And it'll be, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun to follow. I mean, you look at his frame and, you know, 6'6, 270. If you think of him at, you know, 6'6, 285, 290, uh, you know, what that might look like, what that might open up for you. uh, I think it makes him a, a really, really intriguing prospect there.
3: Yeah, Tyler, one thing I wanted to, I wanted to give a shout out to Alan True, uh, our Midwest recruiting analyst who, he did a great job helping us with that story. I mean, he was all over it and I think it shows the value of of the network and and having these recruiting analysts everywhere that even when it comes to the portal, they still have relationships with family and stuff. And so, you know, just a big thank you to Alan True for helping us with that story because I think we were kind of, we were right there on a lot of it. And uh, we would not have been without Alan True. And uh, again, points out the value of having
0: all of these great
3: national experts on the 24-7 network.
0: Yeah, and, and Brian Doan and, and Steve Wolfong and, and the whole crew, they, They're not yeah. just recruiting, now they're contributing on the transfer portal in a big way. I almost way. feel and, and bad certain- for
3: them, almost, <laughs> but I don't because it's great
0: for us. So uh, I thank you guys. Thank you to everybody for all the great work they do. Um, and one last thing to get to here um, as, as we get another decision with that NFL draft decision, uh, with the NFL draft deadline, Keaton Ellis, uh, he told me out in Pasadena that he was leaning toward a return um, heading out of last week. He put it out there on social media that he was indeed returning uh, started every game at safety this year. As we've documented, Jalen Reed was actually the second most active safety in terms of, of, of game uh, work this season behind Jair Brown, but Keaton Ells was a mainstay. He's a guy who is relatively still new to the safety position and, as he told me out in Southern California, that was a big motivating factor for him to see what he could do another year there. I think he's going to have to compete his butt off to stay on the field because there are younger players pushing. Jalen Reed, we know he underwent a medical r- procedure recently from a Rose Bowl injury, but I really like what we saw from him as a sophomore. Different kind of player than Keaton Ellis, certainly at the back end, but uh, some long, rangey athletes and KJ Winston on the rise, zaki Wheatley, and then they've got some some reinforcements coming in with younger players as well, but. This is one of those moves, it might take you a little while to get to it, Mark, if you're the average Penn State fans and you say, list the biggest moves of the offseason. This could be one of those stealthy moves come next season, where you've got the guy who might not be the splash playmaker, but he's the accountable veteran presence. And you can never have enough of those guys, especially considering what they're losing from the defensive side of the football in that regard.
3: Yeah, he's from State College, I'm from State College. Uh, Well, I'm not from State College, but I live here now. But I really thought he was going to have his hands full uh, maintaining a starting position. But he didn't. And you know what? I thought he played pretty well overall this season. I mean, you you don't look back and say, oh, man, remember when he blew that? I mean, he was just a solid, good, tough player back there. He's going to come up and pop people and and, and run support. Uh, He's going to be decent in coverage. Uh, But I think the most important part about Keaton Ellis is the leadership that he's going to bring. Uh, to that room I mean he's been around forever you know you, you you're losing Jair Brown who was you know kind of just the way he carried himself even though he was only in a program for a few years just a natural leader I think Keaton brings a lot of those same kind of qualities and I think you're going to see it you know regardless of how much he plays I mean he's going to play I wouldn't be surprised if he starts again uh, but he's going to be a, a really good leader back there Uh, In that room and for the secondary. So I think that's he's he's a good guy to have in the program. Uh, I think it's a real positive. I still think back, Tyler, to following state high games when you and I were waiting there to to interview him up on that hill uh, way back in the day. But it's nice to see a local guy do well. And I'm glad
0: to see that he's coming back for another year. Yeah, James Franklin showing up to a lot of those games as well back in the day with what he did at State College High. Came in, burned Retcher as a cornerback, played a pretty significant role. And and now here he is through some medical stuff, through a position transition, uh, back for a fifth year on campus is Keaton Ellis. And uh, adding to those confirmations with guys like Adiza Isaac and Curtis Jacobs from last week, players who have seen a bunch in the Big Ten you're going to have right there on the field for you once again if you're Manny Diaz and and Anthony Poindexter in this group a couple other names that we know will be here and not going to the NFL draft that we were at least asking about and we weren't the only ones out in Los Angeles Daniel (laughs) but maybe the message board was, was right why was everyone asking about Theo Johnson But we were, and we were curious, and with the second half of the season and all the things we said about what he could do in shorts and a T-shirt out at a potential combine situation, you're getting back a major ascending figure at tight end. It's not a surprise, but we didn't get a surprise from Theo. And then Johnny Dixon was the other name there. He's a guy who played football at South Carolina. He didn't take a red shirt down there. He's got the COVID eligibility. You wondered, you know, with some starts under his belt now at Penn State, did he do enough to prove to himself that he's ready to go on to the NFL? He wants another year here, and that's a huge win for this team after they lose Joey Porter Jr. You bring in Storm Duck, but Johnny Dixon's not going to walk away from a starting position silently. I'm really curious to see how that competition goes. Anything else to to make of the last few days, Daniel, uh, as we try to kind of gather some loose ends? It's nice to get rid of some of those loose ends as the offseason continues.
2: Yeah, I think having Johnny Dixon and Theo Johnson coming back next year is really good when you talk about the the ceiling of this team and what we think that they can accomplish. Because I think both of those players, especially Theo Johnson, have really high ceilings personally. Uh, I don't think it would have been a surprise to see either go to the draft, um, and I think both of them would have been selected. Um, and both of them would have, you know, put on impressive showings at the combine. But you know, getting them back for Penn State, I think, is, is really big. Uh, Johnny Dixon can, you know, he can start opposite Kalen King. Uh, with Kalen King on the other side, you know, you're going to get plenty of opportunities to show what you can do as a cornerback. Um, and then with Theo Johnson, he's stepping in with Brenton Strange going off to the NFL. Um, it will be curious to see who, if anyone, steps into that Brenton Strange role as that kind of dirty work guy, you know, who's going to be pushing Drew Aller on the quarterback sneaks uh, out of the T formation. Um, I don't necessarily think that'll be Theo Johnson, but Theo Johnson talked a lot about uh, in Los Angeles, wanting to improve his run blocking. Um, I think he termed it as he wants, he wants to be a menace uh, when it comes to blocking. So I think both of those players are, are pretty interesting. Uh, you know, getting them back is big. Um, I definitely echo what you guys said about Keaton Ellis coming back. Um, you know, for all the talk about pass breakups last year, and you know how this you know this defense led led the country or led Power Five in that mark, Keaton Ellis was fourth on the team, um, which I you know felt like it flew a little bit under the radar um, that he's someone who was able to kind of you know, like you guys said he was pretty solid. You don't really remember him getting beat too too often. Um, he didn't make the most splash plays, but he was reliable and. I think that him coming back allows uh, Manny Diaz and Anthony Poindexter to maybe do things a little similarly uh, with how they used the safeties last year in terms of having four guys that are rotating through and you can put all four of them on the field at the same time. So, uh, you know, I think that the the guys that they have coming back, I think both raise the ceiling of, you know, of this team in 2023. They really provide a lot of depth and above all, they let the, the coaches have some flexibility you know, to allow them to do a lot of different things. You know, so I think that, you know, with that deadline coming and going, obviously roster turnover is, you know, pretty constant uh, in college football at this point. But I think Penn State is is finishing up in a really good spot as of, you know, 145 on January 17th. Yeah, it's been,
0: what, 15 days since Penn State walked off the field uh, with the Rose Bowl. Everyone's saying this is a, a college football playoff contender next year. This is a top five team kind of next year. Nothing that's happened in the last two and a half weeks in terms of roster movement has led you down any other path. In fact, I think it's probably only reinforced that sentiment. So buckle up. We got a lot to learn about this 2023 edition, but as they got through those two weeks, we knew there was a potential for for things to really change in some big ways. Instead they're coming out of this with with their top wide receiver target um, and a lot of players who have played a bunch of football sticking with them instead of getting ready to train for NFL draft possibilities next year so guys uh appreciate it as always uh, following up ryan doan is not an easy act but we had a lot to get to uh, right here in happy valley so appreciate it i know you've got basketball coverage coming up uh penn state uh, continuing their schedule against wisconsin so uh, we'll look for that and plenty more from both of you at lines247.com sounds good thanks thanks all right see you guys Big thanks to Mark Brennan and Daniel our colleagues at Lions 24-7. Tyler Calveruso, I know Mark gave him a shout-out earlier. I'll do the same. Did fantastic work covering uh, that junior day stuff, uh, covering the, uh, a lot of the transfer portal activity that's been happening. He's a little under the weather right now to begin this week, so we'll give him some time to, to get healed up and, and probably get him back on later in the week. We'll be back with another episode. Again, you've got a coaching position to monitor uh, that could happen very soon in terms of that being filled by a new name. We will address it then here on the podcast. We will have already addressed it on the site by then. But in between now and then, a lot of conversation ongoing at lines247.com. Uh, Transfer portal movement could continue to happen as Penn State maybe the potential to add another player to their spring plan. To this point, eleven new freshmen. Three new transfers have been added to this roster since the Rose Bowl and might not be done adding just yet. Stay with us at lines 247com and here on the podcast for now. Stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue.
3: Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.